0: california the golden state a state with pockets of vast wealth economic growth and a robust social safety net but also the highest poverty rate in the nation that's why the cato project on poverty and inequality in california is trying to find innovative solutions to this ongoing crisis and nothing can be done about poverty in california unless we deal with the high cost of housing and the growing epidemic of homelessness Hello, and I am Michael Tanner. I am a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, and I'm the director of Cato's project on poverty and inequality in California. Welcome, and thank you all for coming. Uh, It's good to see all of you, at least virtually. I wish we could have been there in person, but uh, as you know, travel has become something of an issue these days. Before we get into the formality of the program, I did want to take a moment to express my sympathy for all of those in California and elsewhere who are suffering with these terrible wildfires. We know there's been a loss of life and property and livelihoods, and we certainly do express our thoughts and prayers for all of you, uh, as well as for those of you suffering from this pandemic uh, and and your families. We hope you are all safe and well. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about the Cato Project on Poverty and Inequality in California. This stems from Cato's and my work on poverty and social welfare issues over many decades. Most recently, it it comes out of a book that I wrote about about two years ago called The Inclusive Economy. And shortly after that came out, we were contacted by a generous California businessman and philanthropist, David Steffi. Who suggested that we should be taking a closer look at your state? As you heard in the, in the video, you have this. Yours is a state that has tremendous wealth, that has a robust social welfare system, that sees economic growth, and yet it has, and it just came out uh, most recently the other day in the latest Census Bureau numbers, still the highest poverty rate in the nation, also the fourth highest level of inequality of any state in the nation. Uh, as it was suggested, that clearly something is not working in the Golden State and also suggested that many of the topics that I raise in my book and that Cato has worked on for decades from criminal justice reform to education reform to the need to liberalize the labor market and make it easier for people to get jobs, all of those issues are prime topics in California. So it was arranged for us to get a very generous uh, grant through the Orange County Community Foundation. And that was the start of our project, uh, to spend the next couple of years studying uh, poverty and inequality in California, and to come up with a series of recommendations to reforms that we think might help on those issues. We're gonna be looking at a variety of issues, uh, say criminal justice reform, education reform, financial markets, uh, how to make it easier for low-income people to save, uh, how to make it easier for them to find jobs, how we can make economic growth more inclusive and not just go to the people at the top of the income scale. And in particular, as was impressed on me when I met with many of you, we're gonna be talking about housing and homelessness. Uh, You've told me over and over again that there's really no way to address poverty in California Unless we address the topic of poverty, I'll address the topic of housing costs and how that is affecting the homeless population, the growing homeless population in your state. And then, of course, everything got upended by COVID, which simply made many of these problems worse. So today and tomorrow, uh, we're going to be talking about housing and homelessness. More of a focus on housing today, more of a focus on homelessness tomorrow, but they are interlocked. So I expect you'll be hearing about both as we go on. I want you to know that we are streaming this across many different platforms. There are folks out there watching this, uh, of course, on the Cato uh, site, but also on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and on YouTube. Uh, If you have questions, we'd love to have you participate in this program. So you can send in questions if you're on the main Cato event site. There's a box there for you. You can simply enter the questions there. Uh, You can also send them through YouTube or the uh, Facebook website, uh, Cato Facebook website. And if you're on Twitter, you can send questions using the hashtag uh, Cato California. That's all one word, Cato California. That's the hashtag. And if you want to just talk about the project or this conference, uh, please feel free to use it. With that, I'm going to launch into our first speaker of the day. Uh, one of the uh, privileges we've I've had in being out in California and and meeting with so many of you is to meet with people who are real influencers in California politics. Our first speaker is one of those. Michael Weinberg is the CEO of California Forward, uh, which is a uh, grassroots organization dedicated to economic uh, opportunity uh, making and fairness. uh, Very influential in the governor's office and the courts of the legislature. Uh, We've had a great chance to work with them on some criminal justice reform issues and also uh, on housing issues. And as we move forward, we'd like to hear uh, more uh, about uh, what's going on in Sacramento. Uh, Micah is the former uh, head of the Barrier Area Council's Economic Institute, and he was a senior researcher at the New America Foundation, and we're thrilled to have him here with us today. So with that, Micah, I'm going to turn it over to you and have you talk a little bit about what's going on with housing problems in California.
1: Right on. Thanks, Michael. Um, And thank you so much to the Cato Institute for having me. Um, These are huge challenges, and we're all going to have to figure out how to work on them together uh, in a time of political rancor. Um, And so I appreciate your hosting this conversation about this critical issue. Um, As you mentioned, I'm the CEO of California Forward. Uh, We are a multi-partisan movement to make the Economy and government of California work for everyone, so if anybody's wondering, no, I'm not sleeping especially well these days. Um, In this work, we work with all kinds of different folks across the state, especially members of what we call our California Stewardship Network, who are regional leaders, uh, since California is really a state of regions, as I'll talk about in a little bit, uh, that are committed to the triple bottom line of advancing social equity, environmental stewardship, and creating economic growth. And we bring everything together all year uh, in this event called the California Economic Summit. Um, I hope that you can all join us virtually for that on December 3rd and 4th, um, where we work on all these pressing challenges that the state is facing uh, as Michael laid out in his introduction. Um, And we've had for many, many years housing as one of our top priorities Uh, And that work continues this year. We've added a specific working group on addressing racial equity and home ownership, uh, thanks in part to the support of the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. And it's led by folks, including someone you'll hear from later today. Um, I'm really just a warm-up act for one of our leadership council members, Jennifer Hernandez, uh, who's been an amazing leader uh, in the housing space in California for many years, as well as so many other leaders of our work through the California Economic Summit. So this is going to be a bit of a landscaping presentation, which means that it'll be old hat for some and total fire hose for others. But that's just the nature of California's extraordinarily complicated uh, politics and policy. Um, And so I'm just going to go through six things. Why six? Why not six Um, about the California uh, housing crisis and how we can address it. Um, Thing one, that there still is, in fact, a housing crisis. Uh, thing two, uh, that addressing it is primarily a political problem versus a market or a technical problem. Three, that solving homelessness largely requires building homes, although there are specific interventions uh, for certain populations. Um, And four, there are important similarities, but also really important differences across California's regions. So uh, it's really a longer hashtag, you know, hashtag Cato in California's regions, but we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Uh, Five, that our state taxation system uh, makes things significantly more challenging. And then finally, that we really aren't going to be able to do anything about this without a new positive vision of home building in California. All right, so let's go. Uh, Number one, there's still a housing crisis in California. And if anything, the pandemic and economic downturn have made it worse. As Michael mentioned, here in this state, uh, we have the great shame, which I think is important to say and not ignore, look straight at which is that we have the highest rate of poverty when you adjust for the cost of living. And this is primarily a function of housing, although it's also costs associated with housing. When you think about housing, you also have to think about transportation. You also have to think about energy because these costs are also the costs of traveling to your job from where you can afford to live. They're the costs of heating your home. There are lots of costs associated with housing that make California a very unaffordable state for people at all ranges of the income spectrum. It's something that we've known for, about for a really long time and that we haven't done very much about, even though these are horrible human costs as well as financial costs. We also have among the most super commuters in the nation. So these are folks waking up at three in the morning, not being able to see their families, not being able to get back you know, for uh, those family activities. So this is a huge financial cost, but also a big human cost of not addressing this crisis. A lot of our strategies, though, are directed towards creating housing stability for a few versus housing security for many folks. So things like rent control, things like the building up low market rate housing can have a positive impact for some folks but it tends to have sort of a broader impact which depresses the creation of homes for people and therefore makes it difficult uh, for the broader population, for folks who are not able to move into the neighborhoods where they live or where they may be teachers or firefighters or nurses. Um, And it really keeps us from being able to move around the state in the way that would create the economic opportunity that's closely associated with the California dream. Ultimately, this comes back to supply. It just does. Um, As my good friend Matt Regan from the Bay Area Council uh, likes to say, if you keep a basic human necessity scarce, poor people will suffer. And we've done that in California. We have kept homes scarce. We've chosen scarcity as a state. And that is what leads to our having the highest rate of poverty in the nation. Now, this is all magnified, sadly, by the impact of forest fires and climate change. Um, and so when we talk about 3.5 million homes that we need to create as a state, and by the way, we still need to create 3.5 million homes, that doesn't really deal with the fire risk. Um, Judy Lynn and Julie Cart at Cal Matters, an absolutely amazing publication that you should be supporting and uh, going to all the time if you're not, uh, did an analysis. Um, that said that one in three homes in California is in what's called the wild urban interface, um, and uh, where there's close to fire risk. And 4 million homes are in areas especially prone to wildfire. So to deal with this issue, um, which is both an issue of forest management and an issue of climate change, it's one of these issues that, again, everybody is right about what they're right about, and we just need to get together and work on it. we're gonna have to deal with this issue. Um, We're gonna have to think about how we can make sure that people are secure in their homes and uh, secure uh, from fire as well. Um, So this crisis, unfortunately, is really just getting bigger and we're gonna continue to struggle with it. But point two, we can do this, we can do this. There are some challenges that we face as a state that require a tremendous amount of money Uh, Or for which we don't really have the technology. Climate change more broadly is something that uh, everybody is going to struggle with. Um, However, we can do this uh, on housing. Uh, Our challenge here is a political problem, not a financial problem, not a market problem, and not a technical problem. Um, And it's getting worse. Uh, This year, I think everybody, including the members of the California legislature and the government would agree was a tremendous failure uh, on housing. Uh, the legislature, Assembly, and uh, Senate had 15 priority housing bills, only three of them passed. So it was a priority for the legislature, it's been a priority for the governor, and it hasn't happened. Um, now, I'm very glad that some of these bills did pass. My good friend, uh, assembly member Buffy Wicks, managed to pass one of those three bills, uh, which allows Churches to ignore local parking requirements while building affordable housing on their own property. So, this was the inches that we got down the field uh, this year, um, and uh, clearly uh, nowhere near where we need to be. Um, there are many people who deserve praise on this. Uh, you know, the governor has uh, uh, leaned in, uh, uh, Senator Scott Weiner, Senator Tony Atkins, uh, Senator Ana Caballero, and others. Ana Cambiero is the sponsor of a bill that we ran this year to reuse blighted commercial space as residential uh, areas that also didn't get through. So common sense solutions uh, that would allow us to address some of our community's major challenges are not getting through. Now, why aren't they getting through? Well, if the legislative leadership and the governor are not the power players in this situation, who is? Well, it's really the interest groups that dominate the legislature. And there are a lot of them, um, and all of them have sort of valid perspectives that they bring to the table. Um, However, all of those things added up lead to the situation that we have currently. When you look at the interest groups that dominate, you see that we have developers and home builders. Uh, Separately, you have the sort of community that advocates for the creation of below market rate homes. Um, You have local governments, local elected officials, people from local communities and homeowners associations uh, that are involved. Uh, some of them are YIMBYs, many of them are NIMBYs. A lot of them would like to see housing, but want to see it built with local control. Um, definitely a very powerful interest group. Um, they're sort of sequa maximalists. I won't even sort of call this the environmental community because I think many people in the environmental community have begun to understand that California's sort of signature environmental laws are now actually really hurting state's environment. A terrible example recently was the towns that were burned to the ground in Butte County because they weren't able to work through all the requirements of CEQA in order to get their forest management project through. That is clearly not an environmental law uh, that we should preserve in its own uh, state, but some people believe that we should and they have influence in the labor uh, in the legislature. And finally, we have very powerful uh, labor unions, again advocating for a very reasonable thing that their members uh, get paid very handsomely uh, to do this work they want to make sure that their members uh, don't have to actually live in the subsidized housing that they're creating and that again, understandable but you add these things together and ultimately you end up in the situation that we're in the interest groups are in control and this is the outcome that we've gotten We we'll won't get into all the sort of details, but I will say it actually got worse this year. Um, where there was a deal that had been struck a few years ago uh, between the labor unions and the below-market rate housing builders that they would get an exemption from the, you know, requirement to have essentially union labor. Um, That blew up this year and a bunch of bills were shelved. Um, And so we just cannot run it back and expect a different result. We can't just... uh, Hope that things are better next year in the legislature. Hope that things are better next year in the governor's budget um, and hope that we're gonna get a different outcome because we're not. Uh, We're in fact moving very much in the wrong direction. All right, so homelessness as we're sort of moving through all of these very simple, very easy to address issues. Well, California has a huge homelessness crisis. uh, Something like uh, 150,000 folks uh, who are homeless. Um, Some of these people do Uh, require permanent supportive housing, uh, maybe even lifelong mental health interventions. But many of the people who are homeless, especially temporarily homeless, because there's a lot of churn in the homelessness population, just need homes. It's right there in the word, folks, homelessness, right, solution, homes. Um, And it's also really important to understand the direction of causality we talk a lot about the mental health or substance abuse challenges of people who are on the street, but largely it's being on the street that created these spiraling mental health crises versus uh, having spiraling mental health crises that put people on the street. So unfortunately, I talked earlier about all of these different things, the requirement to have union labor, the requirement in many cases to have inclusionary zoning, the requirement to follow various, you know, arcane and outdated environmental laws, you name it, you add all these things up and creating one unit of homelessness housing can cost as much as a million dollars in California. So we're essentially killing people with kindness. We are refusing to build at scale the homes that people need to stop being homeless but we can't just stop having places for these folks to be. So because of our attachment to the way that we do housing in California, we are choosing to build tents under freeways in my city, which is full of them and in so many other cities across the entire state. That is not the right choice for us to make as California. However, there are some really important and really successful uh, initiatives Um, Project uh, Home Key has uh, really gotten going. Uh, But there's nothing at this point that has been proposed or implemented at the scale that would be required to address the crisis because that would necessarily include the building of these millions of homes that we need for Californians in addition to the building uh, of permanent supportive housing and various different mental health interventions. If you wanna look at a place that's doing, uh, doing things right Look at Santa Clara County. There are other examples as well, but I've just been so impressed with what they've done at Project Welcome Home there, uh, the work of Jennifer Loving and the folks at Destination Home and so many other uh, stakeholders uh, that have really created a great model in Santa Clara County. All right, so four. Um, There are really important differences across regions. We create these states. There are these arbitrary jurisdictional lines, but LA, And the Bay Area, and the Central Valley, Northern California, the Sierras, the Inland Empire, San Diego, Imperial County, these are all very different places. And so if Cato and others really want to understand how to have interventions that are really going to work in California, we need to understand that the the regions are very distinct. There are lots of examples of this, happy to get into it. Um, We just did some really important work on creating a Regions Up housing agenda for California, uh, generously funded uh, by Wells Fargo, who's also an important partner of ours in this work because they're such uh, a big funder of uh, mortgages and a charitable funder of subsidized housing and uh, so many other areas. And this Regions Up agenda needs to address the fact that there are places that need more jobs near their housing. There are places that need more housing near their jobs there are places like the bay area where essentially if you permit it it will be built if you allow it to be built it will be built there are other areas where the market conditions don't have uh, that kind of an impact you can sort of lay out the red carpet and given the kind of current situation in california things aren't going to be built so we often hear about how we don't want to have a one-size-fits-all housing policy in California. And we don't. We need to make sure that the housing policies um, that we're tailoring aren't just working for the Bay Area or just working for uh, LA, but are working for the entire state. Unfortunately, what we end up having is a no sizes fits anybody housing policy. So I'd really like to see uh, legislators from across the state come together and build a package. Maybe it's different rates of inclusionary zoning in different areas of the state. There are lots of different examples of this Um, that really would be regions up that would really respect the distinctiveness of the different regions of California. Finally, though, something that is great in all the regions of California that we should promote more broadly are accessory dwelling units. You'll probably hear more about those um, as this goes on, Uh, but these are basically the you know, backyard cottages, that can either be for members of your family, they can be uh, for people that need to move into a particular area. Uh, Tremendous success in a lot of places, including Portland, Vancouver, and so on. Uh, And we've had some movement on that, uh, led by the Casita Coalition uh, and others uh, to get uh, those uh, types of unit built in California, but it's all of the above. It's luxury housing, so-called, it's subsidized housing, it's multifamily housing, it's you know large apartment buildings, it's single family homes. It's all of these things that California needs um, if we're really gonna be successful in addressing this, this crisis across the regions in our state. Two more quick things. Ah, because there's just not enough things, right? Um, so California's taxation system, it makes this problem way worse. We hear a lot about like, you know, are California's taxes too high, too low? Um, There's a lot to say about that. That has a little bit to do um, with what your values are in terms of what you want to see there. But we all should be able to agree. California's taxation system is, I'm going to use a technical term here, worked for a think tank for a while, super messed up, extremely messed up. We, um, there are generally speaking maybe a dozen people including my uh, good colleague, Fred Silva, who actually understand how all these different pieces fit together. Uh, There are lots of different types of like, there are different types of sales tax that are calculated differently. Different jurisdictions have different percentages of different types of taxes that they get based on these like weird arbitrary factors that were negotiated a while ago. Um, We're at sea in complexity. Uh, here in California and complexity is not the friend of equity because people can't navigate these extraordinarily Byzantine systems to get the types of outcomes they want. So it's complicated. Um, However, uh, one of the things that you look at is does a city have the financial incentive to build housing? And one reason why they might uh, would be if they get a larger share of the property tax that this housing creates. And so working with uh, one of our favorite organizations, our good friends, uh, Sarah Karlinsky and uh, the rest of the uh, team, uh, Alicia Jean-Baptiste and others over at Spur, we've done an analysis uh, coming out this week, but I'll preview it for you. Basically that uh, cities in the Bay Area that get a larger share of property tax and therefore have more of an incentive to build housing do in fact build more housing. There's lots of different stuff that you can look at, but we basically need to make sure that it's not against a city's interests financially to build housing if that's what it is that we wanna see. All right, so um, again, a lot of landscaping, but but I wanna conclude on, before we move into Q&A, something positive, Um, and that is that, boy, oh boy, do I love white papers. Um, I love research, I love analyses, that's just who I am. And these types of white papers and analyses um, are going to convince newspaper editorial boards, they'll convince various elected officials, they'll convince opinion elites, but they're not actually an effective mechanism for moving the public dialogue. We need people in California to be hopeful about the future again. We need them to embrace a vision of growth, to believe. And there's reasons they don't believe this, right? I mean, Michael pointed it out at the top. The economic growth that has happened in California has gone to the top of the income spectrum. People need to believe that, and we need to create the outcomes that will uh, you know, have them credibly believe, that growth in their communities is going to benefit them they don't need to be afraid of that duplex or that triplex uh, that's out there. We need to change the public dialogue in California to get people to embrace growth in their communities. We can't just take these white papers and there's a huge stack of them right now and hit them over the head. And ultimately, we're not going to be successful in continuing to try to do this at the state level over the objection of localities. We need to have these dialogues in our communities. We need to have these dialogues as a state, and we need to embrace a positive vision of home building in California in order to really address these shameful things about our state. So that's a lot of stuff, Mr. Tanner. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, hopefully that'll that'll kick us off um, for this morning and. Uh, Happy to, to have a dialogue uh, about, about all this uh, for a few minutes uh, before we keep
0: the conference going. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate all of that. I hope people were taking notes because uh, I don't think I've got all, all six or eight points memorized uh, quite yet, but we really appreciate it. That was, that was absolutely perfect for opening this up. Uh, we do have some questions. I do want to let people know, again, the ways to, uh, to ask questions if you want to be part of this. If you're on the main Cato site, you can simply use the box provided and send in your question that way. Uh, also, there are ways to send in your questions on YouTube and the Cato Facebook page. If you're using those, uh, just use the usual way of making your comments. Uh, and if you're on Twitter, you can send in your questions using the hashtag CatoCalifornia. And with that, I do have some questions, and I want to start off with one that was asked by a couple of people, Jane Johnson and Paul Raish, among others, uh, who wanted to know about Prop 13. You talked a little bit about the the taxing question. And to what degree does Proposition 13 affect housing? In particular, does it discourage cities from building housing because commercial properties are more valuable? To some degree, people living in a city uh, are an expense and businesses in the city where people can come in and shop, spend their money, get sales to spend the sales tax and get out are are an advantage. So how does that impact uh, uh, housing in California? Well, you
1: laid it out, you laid it out pretty well in the question. Um, You know, when you, uh, the challenge becomes if you permit this housing and your property tax doesn't grow over time, the services necessary to support the housing do grow over time. So cities are put into this you know, fiscal bind, where they have this disincentive to create housing, whereas they have an incentive to permit commercial property, uh, which is cheaper in terms of services, and also tends to be more remunerative uh, in terms of uh, the um, income that will bring into the city. We've got a ballot uh, measure uh, uh, coming up here, Prop 15, uh, uh, that would make a change such that the commercial property, it's more complicated, but would keep appreciating. Um, and a lot of folks support that. California Ford doesn't have a position on uh, on this one in particular uh, because there, there are sort of advantages and disadvantages. Whereas on the one hand, you know there are budgetary challenges in the state that this revenue could help to address. This would be raising uh, tax on businesses. Uh, in an economic downturn. And many of those businesses would be small businesses because um, they are leasing from larger businesses uh, that would have their property taxes reassessed. So it's it's challenging. And really what we need is Prop 13 reform generally um, that makes sure that we don't get in the situation we were in the past. People can stay in their homes, um, but we don't create these terrible fiscal disincentives for cities to build housing.
0: Another question that I've gotten uh, several versions of uh, from Richard Ryder, also from Christina Marie on Facebook and a couple of other places, has to do with the fact that census reports, people are actually leaving California for, uh, I believe, the first time. Yeah. Uh, And they're also leaving the cities and moving more uh, out from the city core uh, since we have more work from home type of events. How does this going to affect the, the cost of housing? Uh, and uh, I have a sort of a follow up on that, but why don't we start with that?
1: Okay. Well, and I, all these things, I was instructed by your staff to answer things quickly. All of these things really are like our answers. But um, one of the really important things to understand is we talk about oh, rich people are leaving California. No lower income people are leaving California, right? We're creating on net more wealthy people in California and fantastic, that's wonderful, right? However, it's the lower income and the middle income people that are priced out of our state that are moving to Texas, immediately their GHG emissions go through the roof. So it's not a good uh, you know, situation to have folks leaving the state. Um, yeah, there is uh, building in you know, suburban and exurban areas uh, in California. there's also a lot of building for and demand for uh, building in in urban areas. Um, It's a really interesting set of questions around how much will the trends of COVID around telework persist. But one thing that I did look at is that for the first time in basically forever, the um, San Francisco Bay Area has had a net job loss in information technology. Um, that has recovered a lot more slowly than a lot of the other industries that took a big hit early in COVID, manufacturing, construction, and so on. And so California can't take its prosperity for granted. If we don't have places for people here, they will not um, create the companies here. They will not create the prosperity here. They will not uh, you know, continue to create these vibrant communities here. And it is, it is a real challenge, but it's a different challenge than we hear a lot of times in the partisan dialogue.
0: Sort of a corollary to that is a question from Anthony and then some others that have come in on that. If you build more housing, doesn't that just mean more people will move to California and you'll simply be chasing your tail uh, in that regard. You're never going to outbuild demand. And Uh. (laughs) part of that is why should California take everybody in? Why do people have a right to live in California? if they can't afford it. Okay. So
1: I, I'm, and I, I feel like with all due respect to the questioners, that's a little bit of a defeatist attitude, right? Yes, there is some degree of induced demand from, uh, you know, the creation of supply. Um, however, uh, supply and demand still works in this area, right? I mean, this is a group that I can talk about white papers with, um, and I'm happy to provide all of them, uh, you know, in follow up. But the increasing in supply uh, does bring down prices. We've seen examples of this recently in Seattle with their uh, rents going down, and this was before the COVID crisis. You know, you can look uh, all around the uh, the uh, the nation and the cities that built more, you know, have more uh, affordability, uh, but. Why are we even asking, like, does someone have a right to live in California, right? Like the, the I I mean, so I, like many other people, I'm from uh, the West Virginia part of Ohio, right? And I moved, uh, you know, I came out and visited some friends in California and I'm like, hey, this is an awesome place to be. I would like to be here. For me, California, like, even like means welcoming right? Like the California dream is a little bit different than the American dream. I feel like the American dream is a dream of stasis, right? It's a dream of like, let's get that house, let's get that white picket fence, let's get that 2.5 kids, right? Um, Whereas the California dream is really a dream of dynamism, a dream of coming here as first generation immigrants, coming here um, as farm workers, coming here and creating a better life for our families. Also, side note, I hear a lot of these objections from folks about like, why, you know, why do we need to build here? Like, and often they're from people in neighborhoods, including the neighborhood that I live in, that is essentially preserved in amber since I was born in 1976, right? There are 4 billion more people in the world than there were then. 4 billion to almost 8 billion. Some of them are going to have to be around here. So
0: let's build some homes for them. All right, They like that. I like that. That's pretty good. Uh, all right, let me just ask a little bit about the size of the shortfall in housing. Apparently, there's some debate on this. Most people, including myself, have often cited the McKinsey survey, which says we're about you're about three and a half million units short of what's needed. But uh, some people uh, have, uh, Tom Rubin and others have suggested that the Embarcadero study suggests it's only one and a half million. And uh, which is right? And how big a difference does it make? Who is right? Who
1: cares? Let's build a million and a half and then talk about it, right? Like we're not building the million and a half homes, right? I mean, this is, this is one of the interesting things. Uh, you know, California Ford actually uh, commissioned the McKinsey study Um, you know, several years ago uh, that informed, uh, you know, Governor Newsom's uh, initial plans around housing. But it really doesn't matter that much. Um, Because if we all agree that we need to be building, say, at least a million and a half homes, let's get with that program rather than debating how many millions it is. I actually think 3.5 is low. You know, I mentioned earlier the you know immense challenges that we have uh, around the wildfires. Um, you know, I actually do think that there's a lot that we can do around forest management that can make uh, the wild urban interface um, uh, safer to be in. I don't think we can just give up on the third of California uh, homeowners that live in the wild urban interface. But ultimately, we're gonna have to do something about the four million homes where at high fire risk, right? So let's, let's not quibble about how many millions let's just start
0: building. millions. All right. Let's uh, circling back. I have a question from Luke uh, for uh, circling back to the prop 13 issue. Uh, how much does that create a problem because it incentivizes people to stay in their houses and not move or not downsize. So you have a lot of elderly folks in big houses that they really don't Uh, utilize anymore but uh, they're they're incentivized to stay put so some so like
1: like everything else it's complicated hashtag (laughs) california um there are certain exemptions where homeowners over a certain age can bring their prop 13 like assessment with them when they move and so on and it does have an impact you do hear about these prop 13 prisoners in some cases you only have like a 60 day window to you know keep, take your uh, property tax with you but ultimately the problem is less on this prop 13 and more on there's no place for them to move right it's not like there are a ton of bungalows right um, in walkable urban areas or there are a ton of assisted living uh, you know centers where people can you know age gracefully uh, you know uh, the bigger problem is that there aren't the bigger problem is that we're locking people into their neighborhoods and their homes whether these are lower income people living in a particular community or whether it's you know higher income people living uh, in a in a you know a five bedroom house when there's just one or two people that's not you know, walkable, we need to create places for these folks to move into and be. And then things like Prop 13 can be changed potentially to incentivize that as well. But we just need places for people to move around into.
0: All right, I've got a couple of questions on financing uh, issues here. One is from Brandon that suggests that they are active as architects, they attempt to utilize SB 35 incentives to build more dense and affordable but they seem to be unable to get much information or straight answers from localities. What can be done about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so again, oh my God, SB 35. I mean, there's, and I, I wanna make sure some people are probably listening to this being like, Prop 13, SB 35, what the hell are you talking about? But basically there are a lot of laws that have been passed recently that essentially say, you know, if you're building more dense types of housing, if you're building especially more housing that is subsidized to be below market rate, um, what's sometimes called affordable housing, but I feel like that's kind of a confusing term because we want all housing to be affordable, um, that you can do that without having the sort of, uh, all of the local checks on, you know, design review and the rest of these uh, different things. But there are many localities um, who are sort of uh, resisting or not incentivized or overwhelmed because they don't have the sort of staff to provide all the information that people need in order to uh, take advantage of these types of projects. It's not all in bad faith. Some of it is in bad faith. Um, and, uh, but there are lots of uh, organizations. I mean, I'm just gonna uh, promote uh, you know, my, my old buddies that I was just working with at the Bay Area Council that can help you uh, navigate this uh, and get the information uh, that you need, especially when you're working on the sort of large projects that are incentivized by SB 35.
0: All right, we got time, I think for one last question. Let me go to this. I got several variations of this one as well. But essentially, what's the low hanging fruit? Uh, Other than uh, expanding ADU use, uh, you know, if there was two or three things that could be done that are actually possible to do with the California legislature, uh, what would you say would be the two or three things mm. folk people should really focus on getting done?
1: Oh, boy. Um, well, I mean, you know, I think ultimately, I don't know if this is low hanging fruit so much as just things that need to happen. Um, we need to have a sort of rapprochement and reconciliation among the different members of the interest group where they sort of understand that, look, Government can't be a suicide pact, right? Um, and it sort of is right now, right? We have all of these, you know, people unwilling to, uh, to give an inch. Um, and so that's something that I think very much uh, needs to be done. Um, I think that the, um, again, like a lot of this, there's a, a precondition for a lot of this is having a dialogue around, um, uh, you know, what we want our communities to look like and having people really dive in on that. But there are some low-hanging fruit. Um, and uh, I include the, you know, again, this is like shameless self-promotion, but we have blighted commercial uh, areas uh, that, um, you know, are with the Amazonification of our economy, we're just going to have more of those. I think those are uh, areas that are generally in the center of our transportation networks um, and are would be great places to build housing. So I think that's something that we should absolutely do. Clearly, you mentioned accessory dwelling units, um, and and then we need to make sure. I mean, the uh, that we are providing the the infrastructure and supports that that we need to to produce more housing, um, and those are areas where you know labor tends to be very enthusiastic about uh, those types of transportation projects and so on. Um, but uh, but ultimately, I mean, I just have to go back to this. That this isn't about marginal changes. This isn't about hoping that the next legislative session is better. We need a statewide, multi-partisan movement to build the millions, whether it's one or three, houses in the state that is well-funded, that is well-supported, that is well-organized, and that is the only way that we're going to really break this logjam. And by the way, I'll just end on this because, you know, uh, a Cato conference. This is actually not a partisan issue. There are heroes of housing in California who are Democrats. There are heroes of housing in California who are Republicans. There are Democrats and Republicans and declined estates and libertarians. I have to say that in this audience because there are some libertarians out there. But, you know, they all have their sort of interest groups that they're attached to, you know, but there are people in different parties that have uh, provided some political courage here. And we need to support them. We need to create the movement outside of the legislature that supports the folks that are trying to make uh, progress in there. And ultimately, this is something that may not be effectively resolved through the legislative process. So lots more to say, but thanks for having me today. Um, And uh, really appreciate the opportunity to kick off this conference for you.
0: Well, thank you, Micah. We really appreciate your doing that. And we appreciate all that we've been able to do with you. And we continue to look forward to to working with you in the future on this and other issues. All right. We hope everyone's enjoyed this session. We're going to take a 15-minute break. Uh, The next session on barriers to affordable housing will begin at 11 o'clock Pacific time, 2 o'clock Eastern time. And while you're waiting, if you want more information on Cato's project on poverty and inequality in California, you can visit our webpage Designated for that, cato.org slash project-poverty-inequality-california. We'll see you in 15 minutes.